Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm your host, Christian Napier, and I'm super excited for our next guest, Alan Shaw, to join us. I've known Alan forever, and we've worked on a lot of projects together. Alan, how are you? Uh, great. Thanks, Christian. Great. Thanks for having me on. And uh, you're joining us from where? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, in the so U.S. So you're home. Yes. I'm, I'm at home. I've been in Atlanta for about 25 years now. Well, you've been there a long time, but you've been there, uh, I guess, a fair bit recently, right? Because of all of this coronavirus stuff going around, and we're all just kind of working out of our homes. Yes. Um, it might be a little less of an adjustment for me than for some people because I'm used to working out of my home, but it's uh, it's even more working out of the home than normal. Yeah. Not on the road as much. That's for sure. Right. All, all of the trips uh, that I've had planned over the next few months have been postponed and I'm just working out of the house. So it is different. Uh, I just saw something interesting in my Inside the Games email, Chengdu. I guess the dates have changed a little bit for Chengdu 2021 that you've been working on? Yes, uh, they just changed a couple more days. Um, they're now starting on the 18th as opposed to the 16th of August. So they should be ending, uh, or they should be getting, beginning eight days after the Olympics are completed now. All right. Very good. Well, I'm sure we'll get talking a little bit more about the work that you are doing now a little bit later, but I want to wind the clock back, well, I guess 20 years or so to the time of the games in Salt Lake City, the Salt Lake 2002 games. What was your role in Salt Lake 2002? So initially, um, I was asked in, I guess it was August, actually the spring of 99, uh, to consult on a project to create a, a paid staffing plan for the next almost three years for the organizing committee. And shortly after starting the project, um, discovered that the senior leadership there had a goal to reduce uh, about $20 million in costs. So uh, the project was changed a little bit from the initial idea, but um, we we had a, a big challenge in front of us, but it was basically staff planning was the initial work I was doing there with the organizing committee. And I want to come back to the to that planning work in a little bit, but before I do, tell us how you ended up in Salt Lake. I mean, you've been involved in the games for a long time. What, what was the road that took you to Salt Lake? Uh, well, the, it's, it was an interesting road, I guess, uh, in, in the event industry. Um, so after working with the, the U.S. Olympic Festival 91 uh, in Los Angeles as a, as a staff, a management staff member, um, I took a job in the 94 FIFA World Cup, also in Los Angeles, uh, in a little bit more of a senior position. I was assistant vice president of staffing. And then that led to an opportunity in Atlanta in the, for the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta, where I was the director of uh, what was then called game staffing. So that led me to uh, uh, an opportunity with the Sydney Olympic Games um, and with the Nagano 98 Winter Olympic Games, World Cup 99. And then I got a call in the spring of 99 to consider the project with SLOC.
Wow. So that's quite a journey. And I know Slock was one point in a very long journey for you uh, through uh, your game's career. But tell me about coming to Salt Lake. I know that that uh, you lived in Atlanta. Uh, you did some commuting. Um, but tell me about what it was like to join the organizing committee there in Salt Lake. Well, it was I was very pleased to get the opportunity to to start on this project. I was really excited about the idea of having just recently come off of the Atlanta Olympic Games experience to have another opportunity to work in the U.S. Uh, on an Olympic Games. And having done some work even all the way back in 1984 on the Los Angeles 1984 Olympic Games, um, Atlanta was the second Olympic Games that I worked on. And then the uh, opportunity in Salt Lake was the first winter Olympic opportunity that I had in the United States. So I was really excited about the opportunity. Now, you mentioned, Alan, that you were brought in in part to try to reduce costs. And that's not an easy position to be in, right? Because you become the hatchet man. <laughs> that creates a lot of pressure. So tell us what was that like? You know, you come into this uh, situation, you've been given a mandate. All right, we need to we need to do our games planning. We also need to reduce costs. Yeah, that was it, it, well, it's something I, I I've been doing for I've been doing for a long time before that. And I've been doing since then. But it was particularly challenging in the Salt Lake case in this context because there was a uh, apparently a a promise made um, at a at a board meeting uh, that there would be a reduction of twenty percent of the workforce budget, which had been planned prior to that, which I had not seen. But when I got a, a look at it, I thought, okay, this is this is a good starting point. This is now we have to find twenty percent. What was not considered um, in that that discussion with the board was that the 20% was on the entire amount, not on, not just on the amount that had yet to been, have been encumbered. So you had a, a pretty sizable staff already on board, uh, a little less than three years from the games. And if you're going to look to reduce 20% off of the entire amount, that's one thing. But if you're looking to reduce 20% off of the yet to be hired amount, that's actually more like a 40 or 45% reduction. So that became even even a, a much bigger challenge. And uh, it was, uh, it, it led to some interesting meetings in those first few months. Well, I can imagine it was uh, super, super challenging. How did you end up um, addressing that challenge and achieving the, the goal that was set out for you? Well, I think it became apparent after a while that it was going to be very difficult to cut 40 to 45 percent of the yet to be encumbered costs. And there was no penchant to uh, reduce the existing staff or cut cut the uh, the existing staff that was there or to change their salaries. So we looked for other opportunities to find ways to save. And we started looking into the uniform budgets. We started looking into transportation budgets related to workforce we started looking into other ways that uh, workforce costs could be reduced. That was one op one one of the reasons one of the ways we went about it. The other was that the senior management, when they when they saw the detail and they said, "Okay, this this is a little bit too aggressive," they started looking to other areas within the budget where cuts could be made. And actually, that led to an opportunity for me where I started working on a variety of different projects for the organizing committee beyond just the staff planning. Uh, what were some of those projects, Alan? Well, it's, uh, there were, it was pretty varied. Um, it, it was started out with the staff planning and the, and the HR and, uh, HR operations. 
And then it, it evolved into what were called special projects. And that could have been anything like uh, working with the Utah Olympic Public Safety Command, um, helping them figure out how to reduce some of the costs that they were planning to incur. And some of those costs were going to be passed on to the organizing committee uh, to venue tabletop sessions and simulation exercises. Um, that led to an opportunity to co-author the main operations center plans for the organizing committee, which led to um, uh, my role during the games, which was um, as one of the directors in the main operations center. Uh, but I can think of other uh, other projects. Transportation plans were reviewed. Um, Job-specific training was developed. Test event planning was part of the op- part of the plan. Uh, part of what I was working on and reviewing all the operations manuals for the functional areas, which actually was one of the ways that I think w- was the most productive in terms of reducing costs in the end was there were, there were a lot of overlaps between what the functional areas were planning. So that led to uh, some, some great savings opportunities. Well, Alan, it sounds like you were a jack of all trades, right? And you would do whatever was being asked of you. Yeah, pretty much. I, I love the games. I love the Olympic Games. I love the event industry and am intrigued by just about every aspect of it. Um, and I'd had some experience in some of these areas, uh, a little bit more than others. And then I hadn't had experience in some of them. But the the people that were there in uh, in in charge of making the decisions felt like I could add some value. So I had these opportunities um, in front of me. And I just, I loved every bit of it. And it got to the point where I was flying back and forth between Atlanta and Salt Lake for about a year and a half. And I think I made something like 40 trips in about a year and a half. So just about every other week I was on a plane out to Salt Lake. Well, the, as the work became more intense, uh, as the games got nearer, uh, it led to a decision for that. I, I moved my family out to Salt Lake for a year and that enabled me to continue working on all of the oper- all the projects that I would had the opportunities to work on. Well, that's interesting. You ended up moving out here for a year. Salt Lake's a bit of a different city than Atlanta. Any culture shock for you or your family as you moved uh, from Atlanta to Salt Lake for a year? Um, I don't know if I'd call it culture shock. I, I, I we just had a fabulous time. Now, I I mean, I, I already got to know Salt Lake fairly well from the year and a half going back and forth. And my wife had been out a couple of times and, and she liked it a lot. And then uh, it wasn't hard for me to ask to, to convince her to move because she was into genealogy and um, she knew that the Family History Center was, um, was right there and would be accessible to her. So she was actually very excited when um, I looked around and found a place to rent and it happened to be about a two minute walk from the Family History Center. And so... We we were very happy to make the move. Oh, that's wonderful! And uh, genealogy uh, since then has just totally exploded in popularity. I, I can't believe how how popular it is. My wife and I have watched this series, Finding Your Roots, with uh, Louis Gates Jr. And uh, it's a yeah, it's a hoot. We and really really enjoy it. So that's awesome. Okay, well, in the organizing committee and every organizing committee, I'm sure you've worked for. There are lots of interesting personalities. Who are some of the people that you work closely with? Who are some of the people that you found particularly inspiring or entertaining or that you just enjoyed being around on a daily basis? Uh, that, that's, that's a really tough question. There are so many people that were 
part of the games in Salt Lake City that are are just they're they're awesome people to to be around from a personal perspective and a professional perspective. Um, I, I think you know I have a couple of very strong memories of the games. Uh, one of my one of those strong memories is uh, the team that we had, the people that were there, um, and I would consider to. I considered the Salt Lake games and I, I still do to be an all-star team of uh, people that had worked on prior events uh, that I knew from some of those events that I'd worked on. Um, I mean, I, I could, I have a list of names. I'm not sure I should list them because I'm afraid I'll miss somebody, but uh, I mean, just to, just to throw out some names uh, of the, of the people that I, um, really enjoyed working with and, and really were part of that all-star team. It started with Doug Arnott, who was the, um, the person who brought me in initially to do the initial work. Um, Jerry Anderson, Bruce Dorjak, Richard Bessemer, Colin Hilton, who's still out there working very hard on the legacy projects from the games, Stuart Ash, Mike Aguilar, Angie Ernst, uh, Maureen Sweeney, Tom Saseski, Donna Carrado, Lou Loria, Tosh Suranaga, who's with the IOC now, uh, Richard Tyler, Alan Brooks, Tim Larkin, Ron Delmont, Beth White. I'll stop in a minute, but I just, there's so many of them. Uh, Larry Shank, Andrea McQuarrie, Maury Blitz, who came out and did some consulting work late in the games, was was a, one of my all-time favorite people. Um Later on, as the games got going, Jim Brown joined the team, Kathy LeBeau, Joanne Klonowski. Uh, and again, I'm sorry if I'm missing any names, but the thing that was really most most impressive to me was not just this team of, of uh, great people that Mitt and Frazier brought in, but that there was a mix with an amazing team of local, uh, not just local, but people from the region, the, the Salt Lake City area, other parts of the country, other parts of the world. Um, a lot of those people didn't have a lot of multi-sport event experience, but they had uh, some amazing skills and a, a fantastic work ethic. And I think of people like yourself, Christian, not to uh, pat the podcast man on the back, but you're, you being there, uh, Steve. Well, I'll, I'll slip you some money later, you know, to okay. compensate okay. you for the compliment. I had no idea this was a paid job, but we can turn it into that. I'll um, be food. I'll buy you a meal on our next, uh, our next project together. No, really. But, but working with you, working with Steve Clark, with Lane Critchfield, Darren Hughes, um, I mentioned Maureen already, uh, David Cummins, uh, Justin Toth, Ginny Bornkamp, and then Fraser. And I didn't work as closely with Mitt, but I, were, I got to know Fraser well. Just, just an amazing team of people. Uh, so great memories of, of all of those people. Well, I had those uh, very fond memories too, and it was an amazing team. And I, I haven't worked in an organization quite like it since then. Part of that for me probably is because the games were being held in my in my hometown, and there's a, there's definitely a special feeling when it happens in your hometown. But um, yeah, it was an amazing collection of talent, and I was really honored to work with you, as well as all the other people that you mentioned there. Then that long list of names. Tell us about some of the, the big challenges you faced, either pre-games or you mentioned that you worked in the mock um, or during games time. And how did you resolve some of those challenges? Well, I, one of the, the one thing that comes to mind is I think back uh, to the games. Of course, everybody um, thinks back to 9-11 and the impact that 9-11 had being happening just about four months before the 
opening ceremony. Um, one of the one of the challenges um, that that came out of 9-11 um, was I, I had been working on a project at one of the projects I mentioned with UOPSIC, the Utah Olympic Public Safety Command. They were, we were working through those as far as who pays for what when it comes to the security piece. And I remember one, one anecdote, uh, a week, the week before 9-11, I uh, had a meeting on that Friday, if I remember right, with a, a couple of people over at UOPSIC about airport security. And we were talking about some some ways that it might be possible to um, change some of the cost sharing or reduce some of the, the costs with the airport security team. So after the meeting, at the end of the meeting, the, the, the people I was meeting with said, oh, well, I think in the end, I think we'll probably be able to cut around $200,000 from what we were planning for these various reasons. And I left the meeting feeling like, good, that was a that was a good meeting. It looks like we might find some savings there. Um, well, 9-11 happens the following week. And that next Friday, if I remember correctly, I had a call from the gentleman and he said, uh, sorry, but all bets are off here. Um, we don't we don't think we're going to be able to save the money we just talked about. And that to me was just a, an example of the challenge that many people were facing once 9-11 happened and and the reaction to it um, changed a lot of things that we were working on. And in the end, I think with the federal government getting more involved, um, you know, airport security completely changed uh, after that meeting. Um, that's just one example of, uh, of one of the challenges. That's a great example. You remember where you were when you found out or you heard the news that uh the planes had flown into the World Trade Center? I do. I was actually in my car on the way to the office. And so I had just had breakfast and um, was heading to the office. For I, I usually didn't get to the office that early, but I had a meeting at nine o'clock that morning or something I was preparing for. So I, I went in a bit early. And on the way to the office, which is only about five minutes or seven minutes from my house, my wife called me on on my cell phone and said, have you seen what's what's going on? Uh, and I said, no, I, I just had breakfast, just left. I, I hadn't seen her in the morning. Um, she had apparently come down just after I'd left, turned on the TV. And uh, so that's how I found out. And I ended up um, in a in a meeting. In, I ended up in uh, Fraser's office uh, with uh, Richard and Doug and several other people that had arrived in the office and, and we had the TV on in Fraser's office. And that's, that's really when it all hit me. Yeah. For me, I was, I, I, I drove to the office, but I was listening to music in my car. I, I wasn't listening to the news and I got into the office around 10 minutes after eight and Jamie Shaw was in there and she's like, you heard what's going on? I'm like, I have no idea. And then she told me and I couldn't believe it. And so several of us ended up going to Jamie's apartment her apartment was right across the street and we were just watching the news with jaws agape. I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't believe what we were seeing. And then we, we got word that uh, the office was going to be closed for the day. And then we all went home. Uh, but yeah, it was absolutely a horrific and unforgettable experience. Let's try to lighten the mood a little bit. What about a, a humorous experience or something that you found particularly fun during or before the games? Well, I, it, it turned out to be fun. It wasn't so it wasn't so fun for the Italian uh, ice skate figure skaters um, for a few days, but 
one of my, uh, one day in the main operations center when I was on, on shift, uh, an issue came in that the Italian pairs who had arrived at Salt Lake International Airport um, got to the village and they couldn't find their skates. They didn't have their ice skates. Or, or actually, now that I think about it, I think it was just the man. It was just the guy who was missing his skates. So uh, it took almost seven days, if you can believe this, um, for for the sleuths that we were to help figure out what happened to these this, this skaters' ice skates. And in the meantime, because it wasn't happening fast enough, we weren't finding them fast enough, uh, they, they sent over another pair from Italy, another pair of skates. Um, but we found out, uh, if I remember correctly, it was about seven days later that the skates had been in the underbelly of a bus and the bus had taken off from the airport and had a, had a problem, a maintenance problem on the way to the village where it was going. And so they pulled it out of service and the skates apparently sat in the underbelly of this bus for a week even though one of the two days into the thing, we had had people scouring all the buses in the bus depots to find if there was something in one of these buses and it wasn't found. Sure enough, when the bus was put back into service and someone opened the door, there it was. So um, I had it got interviewed by, um, I don't remember if it was ABC or NBC, whoever, I assume it would have been uh, NBC. Um, and, and ended up with a story on the news the next day um, where they, they uh, credited me with helping find fixing the problem, which was really not true. Um, and they, they labeled the story, Mr. Fix it. And then they, they had my picture and, and it just, it was kind of, it was very ironic that because I, I was working on the issue for a long time. I never fixed the problem, but I got labeled with this. We, we found the guy's skates. So that's, that's a slightly more humorous story, at least for us, the, the Italians, I'm sure were not, feeling too that it was too funny oh i'm sure they didn't think i'm sure they didn't find it funny either but yes alan shaw skates to victory as mr fix it i i like it i like it you have stayed in this movement since the games doing lots and lots of things Basically, in a nutshell, what have you been doing since then? And how did the Salt Lake 2002 games impact your personal and professional life? Well, it's a it's a great question. And it's something that um, I, I don't I think if I would have answered or tried to answer that question about how it impacted my life 18 years ago, I'd have a very different answer than I have today. But um, since 2002, um, I've had the opportunity to work on seven additional Olympic and Paralympic games, in addition to the three or four I had worked on prior to Salt Lake. Um, I've also had the opportunity to work on an Asian Games, Commonwealth Games, uh, Special Olympic World Summer and Winter Games, uh, Pan Am Games. And then over the last seven years, I've had the opportunity to work on six different World University Games. So in all of this, I've stayed in the event industry, obviously, and in, in all of this, um, I, one thing that's changed a bit since Salt Lake, even though I did a variety of projects back then, I, I've taken on even a, a wider variety of roles over the last 18 years than I had prior to that, uh, especially with London, uh, the London Games, where um, uh, Doug also um, asked me to come in and help out there. Um, I ended up working on a variety of, I think, about 12 different projects 
everything from risk management, contingency planning, workforce planning, and functional reviews, a variety of things. So the thing over the last few years, though, is is to um, to bring things a little closer to the last few years is I've, I've had an increasing focus on data capture projects within the event industry and on um, implementing a new games planning model that um, Epic has conceived of many years ago and finally over the last few years has had a chance to implement. So as that relates back to Salt Lake, um, for me, Salt Lake set a standard of excellence in this industry that to me is uh, no other games that I've experienced has reached that standard. Uh, the games there weren't perfect, as no games are, but um, any games <laughs> that has uh, long food concession lines as one of its top issues must be doing an awful lot quite well. And I think that the SLOC team did an awful lot quite well. So having been part of that team and having reached that standard of excellence with this group of people, many of whom, I'm, whom I named earlier, um, I, I think it's given me an incentive. Um, it's given me a bar to try to reach again. And um, by being surrounded by so many highly capable people for two and a half plus years, um, also helped me to learn a lot in a relatively short time. In fact, um, I, I think it was at SLOC when I first began to relate to what has become one of my favorite quotes, which is from John Wooden, the famous coach from basketball, uh, UCLA basketball, who said, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. And though I didn't think I knew it all before the Salt Lake games, I thought I knew a lot more than I did. But by working with that team that I was with, I learned just how much there is to know out there. And it's it's really fueled a or or sparked a an interest in me to get involved in even more more areas within the event industry and to take on more challenges. And just kind of in, in closing that, I, I really commend Mitt and Fraser for taking on what I what I thought back then was a really tough challenge, and then applying what uh, seems like an all too simple, but but for a lot of organizing committees is a very a very elusive solution, and that is to work hard to find the best people. And when you find them, engage them, you take care of them, you reward them properly. And, you know, that that adage that in real estate, it's location, location, location. And in business, it's people, people, people. Well, even more than business for any event, um, it's about the people. And the Salt Lake Games and the senior leadership team there proved to me that that adage is really true. Well, you've gone on an amazing journey, and I feel very fortunate to have crossed paths with you on a number of occasions on some interesting projects and things like the data capture and so on and so forth. It's been uh, super, super interesting for me, and I've always enjoyed working with you and hope to continue to work with you on future projects. To close us up here, I've got an assignment for you. Actually, I have three assignments for you. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> These assignments, they revolve around food, fun, and music. And so I'm going to take the music one first. As you look back to your time in Salt Lake, what was, uh, give us a song that you listened to back then that 
for you really brings back the memories of Salt Lake 2002 whenever you hear it. Oh, that's so hard. I, you know, I, I was, I, that's a, that's a really tough one for me because, um, I listen to a lot of music. Um, I, I don't know that one of them totally stands out, but, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have to say if I had to pick one, um, I'd say it's the end of the end of the world, as you know, it, the REM song, um, which for a variety of reasons, is just something I remember from that era uh, playing a lot of, a lot of times. And, uh, and, and I don't know that it relates directly to the games, but that's the one that comes to mind. And it's interesting you choose that because it's now moving up on the charts yeah. because of this whole COVID-19 coronavirus thing. So people are starting to reconnect to that song. And um, so we will definitely add it to our playlist. I'm creating a playlist on Spotify, okay. which anybody, can, they, anybody who has Spotify account can find. And it's called Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective. So we'll take the REM song and we'll throw it on the playlist so people can listen to it. Okay, great. The next topic is food. You know me, food is very important. I love to eat food. So I had to ask everybody, where did you go to eat? What was the favorite restaurant for you? Your go-to place for lunch when you were working there in Salt Lake? So I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm no, I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer the lunch question because I, I didn't eat lunch very often. I'm, I'm one of these people that when I get get going in the day and I put my head down, I'll, I'll have a good breakfast and I'll have a good dinner, but I don't eat lunch much. But with that, I do remember, I think it was my, my favorite spot though, to go in, uh, in Salt Lake. And I'm not going to remember the name of it. You probably will. It was in the train station or the old train station, uh, Mexican restaurant. Ah, Rio Grande cafe. Yes. There you go. Thank you. That was, that was my, my favorite spot. Uh, I like the atmosphere, I like the food and, um, they had, good margaritas and beers. And so I think I had more, more meals there than any other place. And I have very good memories of having many meals with, with uh, some of the people that I mentioned earlier in that, in that location. Well, I didn't partake of the margaritas or beers or things like that, but I loved the sour cream chicken enchiladas they had there on the blue corn tortillas. Amazing. Amazing. Love those super scrumptious. Is it still there, the uh, the cafe? It is, but of course, everything now is closed down, right? Um, and I think that they um, there was some damage. I don't know if you knew that there was an earthquake here about two weeks ago in Salt Lake, and the building, the Rio Grande building, suffered some damage. So who knows? It might be closed for a little while while they're making reparations. I don't know if that building is up to current code when it comes to seismic resistance and things like that. So anyway, but... Yeah, the place is still there. I, I think I last had lunch there maybe a couple of years ago, but I really, really enjoy Rio Grande Cafe. Now, my last question for you, as you take a look at your tenure there in Salt Lake, what was your favorite Olympic memory? Maybe it happened during the games. Maybe it was something, a competition that you went to or something behind the scenes that you just found really, really inspiring. And that it's really hard to think of one, but the thing that I do remember most, aside from what I've already shared um, about the team being, I mentioned I had a couple of really key memories. One was the team of people we had. The the other was that, um, you know, I, I don't know that I would have felt this way again 18 years ago, but now that I think back, what stands out for me most all these years later was attending events with my family and friends that came in from all over the country, uh, sort of on shifts, if you will, now a few days here and there, um, to spend some days at the games. And we had rented, I mentioned that 
we had rented a place near the uh, Family History Center. It's actually right across from the temple on Second Avenue. Um, it was an eight-bedroom house. And during the games, we were able to make very good use of that eight-bedroom house. Um, and uh, I just remember going to Metals Plaza with my family and friends. I remember going to the figure skating women's final, the ski, uh, ski jumping competition with some of my family. Uh, we had dinners uh, at our home, and I wasn't I wasn't there very often, but I would pop in for thirty minutes. You know, I would be in between shifts or between going back and forth to a venue or something. And um, having my wife, my kids, my mom, my dad, my sisters, my cousins, sharing the games um, as a as a you know with my family, which I'd never been able to do to that extent before, and I haven't been able to do since, uh, really stands out to me. Well, that's a wonderful memory, and thank you so much for sharing it. You're right; it, it's always sweeter. The experience is always sweeter when you get to enjoy it with the people that are close to you. And so, I really appreciate you sharing that. Now to close us out, Alan, if people want to learn more about what you've been up to lately or what you're doing now, how do they get in touch with you? Well, I think the best way would be just, um, and I'll give you my email address. I think that's probably the best way. Um, A Shaw, so A-S-H-A-W, at epic, E-P-I-C, dash USA.com. Perfect. A Shaw at epic dash USA.com. Alan, thank you so much for sharing your memories with us today. Listeners, please like and subscribe to the podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Christian. 